You know, when I want to get the facts about the day's news, I turn to the mainstream media because I'm just not very bright. And with the midterms coming up, I think it's important to find out which politicians have accomplished what. So without further ado, here's the mainstream media's guide to political credit and blame in recent history. When Barack Obama pulled our forces out of Iraq and failed to intervene in Syria, leading to the rise of the terrorist army ISIS, which he dismissed as a JV team until it had established a caliphate on huge swaths of the Middle East, that was George W. Bush's fault because Bush invaded Iraq and thus created the situation that Obama would completely screw up. When Donald Trump gave orders to James Mattis to reduce ISIS to rubble and the terrorist caliphate was wiped off the face of the earth in about the time it takes to say, whoa, ISIS's caliphate has been wiped off the face of the earth, that was to the credit of Barack Obama because he said he was going to defeat ISIS and that's what gave Trump the idea. When GDP grew at a lousy average of 1.5% during Obama's eight-year presidency, that was George W. Bush's fault because Bush caused the financial crash by allowing Democrats to give mortgages to people who couldn't afford to pay them back. When Donald Trump caused an explosive growth in the economy and virtually wiped unemployment off the face of the earth in about the time it takes to say, whoa, unemployment disappeared almost as fast as the ISIS caliphate, that was to the credit of Barack Obama because he positioned Trump for success by failing to jumpstart the economy for eight years, which made Trump look good. And of course, when Barack Obama's FBI used Russian misinformation to secure a warrant to spy on an opposition party's political campaign while Hillary and Bill Clinton raked in millions from Russian sources, possibly in return for political favors, that proved Donald Trump was colluding with the Russians. Because, just take my word for it. I hope this mainstream media guide to politics has helped you decide who to vote for in the midterms anyone but the mainstream media, obviously, since it's pretty clear they're a pack of scoundrels. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is zippity-zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. All right, we're back. I hope you survived the Clavenless Weekend. I only barely survived the Clavenless Weekend. I got so tired after finishing Another Kingdom. I had to kind of rush to finish a draft of Another Kingdom because we actually started recording it last week. So I had to make sure I had it all together so we could start. I just, I, I, it was like I was catatonic. I just sat there. I kept thinking, I should go to a movie. Nah, you know, I should, I should do, nah, I don't, so here I am. I, I made it back. Uh, Knowles will be here. I have four Knowles. You know, there is a new murder mystery starring Barack Obama as the detective and Joe Biden as his Watson, Watson to his Sherlock Holmes. I forced Knowles to read it simply for my own entertainment so I could sit around all weekend thinking Knowles has to read that that book. Uh, but, but we'll find out about that. And meanwhile, as you know, as summer comes, you're out there spending dough like crazy. And those credit cards just make it so easy to spend money without thinking about it. And before you know it, you have racked up credit card debt. And you know what that means. It means that the interest rate is going to come. It's like a gigantic monster that is going to come and just rip money out of your wallet. Unless, unless you use Lightstream, you can refinance your credit card debt with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. It's an easy way to save hundreds to thousands of dollars and lower your interest rate. Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from 5.89% APR with auto pay, which is lower than the 
average credit card interest rate of over 18% APR. You can get your funds as soon as the day you apply. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a great interest rate and no fees. My listeners can save even more with an additional interest rate discount on top of Lightstream's already low rates. The only way to get this discount is, is to go to lightstream.com slash Andrew. That is L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash Andrew. Subject to credit approval, rate includes 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com for more information. So all week long, I've been thinking about this woman. How do you pronounce her name? Sarah Jong? Yeah, yeah. I've been thinking about her because I've been thinking she kind of hits on something about the left that has always bothers me is that they never think about where things are coming from. They only think about what they want. You know, they never think about where where anything has come from or why it exists or why things fail and why things succeed. And it's kind of like, you know, when I made this speech to uh, Yaf uh, last week, I kind of shocked some of the young people there because nobody's allowed to talk about the roles of men and women. Nobody's allowed to talk about what it's like to be in a marriage and what kind of marriage works. And I do because I just figure I'm so old by the time they run me down, I'll be dead. So, so you know, I, I said to them, every good marriage I've ever seen, the man has had a leadership role. Every good marriage I've ever seen, every happy, truly happy marriage, the man has taken a leadership role. But what does that mean? What does leadership mean? Leadership means that you are responsible for the maintenance of your people in a way that they're not responsible for you. My children didn't have to worry about where my next meal was coming from. I had to worry about where their next meal was coming from. My wife didn't have to worry about who was going to, how the rent was going to get paid. I worried about that. And she had to do these things in the house. That made me, gave me a leadership role. That's what a leadership role looks like. You're responsible for things. The problem with it, of course, is that you're not going to go in and say to your kids, you know, well, you should be grateful to me, you little whippersnapper. You know, you don't say anything. You just provide. You give them the stuff. You're the leader. You just do what it is there for you to do. And there's a danger there that children will not understand that things don't just magically appear. Chris Rock used to do a wonderful, wonderful routine about how nobody ever says to dad, thank you for this light I'm reading by. It's so much easier to read when you have light, dad. You know, nobody says that. And so you just think about what you want. You know, and if you don't have what you want, you're angry. If you're not getting what you want, and you never think about where it's coming from. So listen to this video of Sarah Jong giving a speech at Harvard and complaining about Western culture. Now, just, just so you know this, Sarah Bourne was born in South Korea and moved here when she was three years old. She went to UCB, like I did, the University of California at Berkeley, and then Harvard Law School, where she was editor of the Harvard Journal of Law and gender, whatever that is. Okay, and here she is discussing what's so, just so wrong about Western culture. Everything is implicitly organized around um, how men see the world. And, and not just men, how white men see the world. Um, and this is, this is a problem. This is why so many things suck. Yeah, that's, I, I want to know what sucks for Sarah. You know, I mean, first of all, what, did it suck that 30,000 30, Americans died to keep South Korea from becoming a socialist paradise like North Korea? I mean, is that what she's, if, if only those 30,000 Americans, mostly white men, I was, would assume, if that's what we're going to care about, since all those guys hadn't died, she would have her socialist paradise now. She could be living under Kim Jong-un and things would be great. That would, that would just be so happy. What sucks that she went to Harvard? You know, 
This is the woman who tweeted uh, that, you know, what can what can white men actually take credit for? So she's standing in Harvard, created by white men, wearing clothes designed by white men, speaking a language designed by white men, using values that came down to her through white men. I The, the fact is, it's not that they were white. Their, their whiteness doesn't constitute their goodness, obviously. It's their ideas, the ideas that people had and fought for and died for and that came down to them and the culture that created that gave her this life. And she might have gotten up. What would it have looked like if she thought about where things came from instead of what she wants, okay, instead of the perfect life she doesn't have? What would happen if instead of being a child who doesn't know where anything comes from, she thought about, you know, where these things that she has come from, came from, and she said, you know, hey, thanks, white men, if that's the way she wants to categorize this people. If she said thanks to this wonderful West, first of all, for saving my country and creating a country that includes me, that would let me in, that would let me say, you know, you can be part of it all. It's great. You know, Harvard, I went to Harvard. Wow. You know, thanks so much. Thank you for that. Now, now let me deserve it. Let me contribute to it. Let me become a part of it, you know, and thereby show there. But I prove that it wasn't your whiteness that made it good. It wasn't your gender that made it good. It was the ideas. Let me become a part of those ideas and contribute to them. You know, instead, you start to want you just talk about what you want, these magical things that you want, and you become envious. You become envious and dissatisfied. It's true of all of life, right? I mean, it's like you're being, you know, if you if you wake up every morning and you're thrilled that God has given you another day to be here, you're going to have a much different life and a much different attitude than if you wake up every morning worrying about the things you don't have. And by the way, you should have ambitions. You should have desires. There should be things that you don't have that you want, and you go out and get them, and that's what you work for, and those give you goals. But, you know, before you start out that way, it wouldn't hurt you to, you know, wake up in the morning and say, hey, you know, thanks for the fact that I'm here yet again, another day. What a thing. You know, I mean, that those are the things that the left can't do. And why can't they do it? Well, they're dedicated to making sure that everything, you know, that we know how bad everything is and making sure we're divided, making sure they establish you know, this is a lens that you're looking through. You establish these ideas that divide us. Oh, you're black and I'm white. And and the reason they do that is because the reason they do that is they think of everything in materialist terms. They think of everything in terms of power and who has the power. And if they got the power through racism, well, now we'll be racist and then we'll get the power. You know, and they, that's the way they think. But it's just a little bit of gratitude, a little bit of wondering about where these things come from that she's enjoying that are benefiting her, would just change her whole attitude and the attitude of the left. You know, I have to talk about software advice. And I know many people think to themselves, what's software advice? Well, it's advice about software. That's It's very easy. And the thing is, I do this a lot. You know, I'm a, I am essentially a business and I work on a, a word processor all the time. And every now and again, I'll think, you know, <clears throat> you know, it's too bad that the word processor, processor doesn't do this or that that I wanted to do. But it never occurs to me to find out, like, is there something new? Is there another uh, device that will help me do what I want to do? And that is what software advice helps you with. When it comes to picking the right software for your business, software advice has already done all the research for you. You just go to softwareadvice.com slash Clavin, answer a few short questions about your business, and you'll be connected with an advisor to discuss the best software options for your needs. This takes like 10 minutes or less, and it's free. 
If you're an entrepreneur or you work solo, Software Advice is a great way to get an expert opinion, even without the resources of a big company. So go to softwareadvice.com slash Clavin to get started. That's softwareadvice.com slash Clavin to connect with an advisor for free. Softwareadvice.com slash Clavin. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. I can't offer you a discount because it's free. But tell them it's from us anyway, so they will continue to sponsor us and we can keep on talking. The rest of the country, everybody but the left, gets it. They get it. The direction of the country index, a new poll shows, this, this gauges how Americans feel about our nation's current course. It has surged 13% to 50%. Anything over 50% is good. To 50%, 50.1%, which is the highest level since 2005. Since 2005, the most people feel that our nation is going in the right direction. Quality of life index rose 7% for the month to 64.2%, which is the highest ever measuring quality of life, eclipsing the previous high of 63.1, set way back in 2004. The jo- and, and why? Why? Because the jobless rate is virtually, it, those who lack a high school diploma, the jobless rate is now at its lowest level ever. This is for uh, uh, Investor Business Daily. This is from Investor Business Daily. For those who want to work full-time but can only find part-time work, their rate is the lowest since 2007. That was the thing that was keeping Obama's numbers afloat. All those people working part-time were counted as working full-time when they weren't. Now they are. Uh, Latino and Hispanic workers' unemployment rates stood at 4.5%, an all-time low. 6.6% African-American unemployment now equals the third lowest rate ever. Minority workers are participating in this boom as never before, and all workers are seeing gains. This is huge. Finally, finally, wages are going up. Wages are a lagging indicator. They finally rose at 2.7% for a second strength, strength month. So people are happy. People are getting happier. And I, you know, I, I told the guys this when Trump was first elected. I said, you have never seen GDP go from 1.5 to 4. I have because I lived through Carter and Reagan. It's like laughing gas. It makes people happier. Why not? Suddenly you got money to spend. Suddenly your family is secure. Suddenly there's going to be Christmas again. It's not like the Obama years. It's the Trump years. And it's good times. And no matter what the press is telling us, People are getting it. You know, you can't you can't talk people out of their own lives. You can't talk people out of the facts that are right in front of them. But on the left, it's a constant crisis, and we need us some socialism. We got to get that socialism because we got to be saved from this world where things are not free. Cynthia Nixon, who is the actress from uh, what's it called uh, that Sex in the City? She's the actress from Sex in the City. She's running for governor of New York. She's challenging Andrew Cuomo in the primary. She has finally gotten on the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez train, and she has announced that she too, I too, am a socialist. I am proud to be one of a small but growing number of candidates to identify as a democratic socialist. I hadn't called myself a democratic socialist before, but I realized that my values and what I'm fighting for are directly aligned with that movement. So, if being a democratic socialist means believing that health care and housing and education should be a human right, then I am a democratic socialist. 
if it means standing up against inequality in all its forms and taking action to equalize wealth and power in our society, then I am a democratic socialist. The establishment is terrified of that word, socialism. But if we learned one thing from the Obama years, it's that Republicans are going to call us socialists no matter what we do. So we might as well give them the real thing. You know, what I love about this, I, first of all, the mocking of people for being afraid of socialism, which doesn't work, hasn't worked anywhere. Don't listen to any of this stuff about the Scandinavian countries. It has not worked anywhere. All those countries establish their wealth through free markets. Socialism has drained them of energy and wealth and of productivity and creativity. It never works. But even aside from that, as I keep saying, it's it's the fact that it is, when she says healthcare is a human right, when she says housing is a human right, education is a human right, what she is saying is your taking your money, taking your wealth, taking your work and deciding what they are going, having the state decide what they are going to do with the product of your work is a human right, that they have the right to the product of your labor, which is exactly what the slave owners in the South thought. They used to sit around and go, yeah, I got a right. I got a right to the labor. You know, I got a right because I'm a superior. I know what's bad. You know, that's exactly what the, they're the same people. They are the same. You know, I, I, I have issues sometimes with Dinesh D'Souza. I love the guy, but I have issues sometimes when he, you know, compares the modern Democratic Party to the Democratic Party of slavery. Uh, you know, obviously it's not the same party, but that same strain of logic does go through it. There's still sitting around going, yeah, you do the work and I'm going to take that. I'm going to take the profits from your work. I'm going to spend it. Not that that's the way it should be because I am superior to you. And then they laugh at you for saying like, I don't, I don't think that's such a good thing. You know, Michael Tomosky in the New York Times, let's, let's take a trip to our favorite location, the New York Times op-ed page, or as we like to call it, Knucklehead Row. Uh, I love that song. <laughs> so Michael Tomosky is writing, and he says, the, why, is so, why is there socialism? Because you rotten capitalists have ruined everything. He says, young people have seen the United States go from being a country that your parents, or more likely your grandparents, described as a place where life got better for every succeeding generation, to a place where for millions of people, quite possibly including you, that's no longer true. Young people have seen the Obama economy where you're right. Things didn't get better. Well, of course, he says you witnessed the financial meltdown of 2008 caused by big banks betting against themselves. No, 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 my friend. The meltdown of 2008 was caused by left wing policies uh, for, uh, headed by ba Barney. What the hell was his name? Frank. Thank you. Barney Frank. Mr. Let's roll the dice on the American economy. That's what he said. They warned him. They warned him, you know, if you loan this money, if you loan all these mortgages to people who can't pay them back, it's going to cause a, cra a crash. George W. Bush said it four or five times. He said, I'm, I'm ready to roll the dice. He rolled the dice, came up snake eyes. We crapped out. And yes, Wall Street was irresponsible. But once you create an illogical system where you're telling banks they must give money to people who can't pay it back, all Wall Street can do is say, well, how do we make a profit off this? You know, and yeah, were they right to do that? No, it was a wrong thing to do. But you put them in this illogical wonderland where they had to somehow make money for their people uh, off a crazy system. All this stuff, all these policies were caused by the left. And this is the funny thing, uh, funny in the sense of weird and odd. 
they keep doing this. Their policies do this, and then they blame it on us. It is just amazing. You know, they keep saying, oh, the guns, we've got to get rid of the guns. Well, they got rid of the guns in Chicago. You know what's happening in Chicago? I mean, did you know what happened over the weekend in Chicago? These are our people. These are American people being gunned down at a rate. Well, let's see. Gunshots and sirens filled the streets of Chicago during the weekend between Friday evening and Sunday night. 63 people were shot in separate incidents. Ten were killed. I mean, that is insane. And you think people, listen, you know, I've been saying this behind the scenes. I don't like to make predictions. You know, I, I believe nobody knows the future. So predictions are largely a waste of breath. But I've been saying here at The Daily Wire, you know, black Americans are not stupid. They're going to catch on. The things go better with Trump, you know, that things are going better with Trump and things go lousy under the Democrats. So the Democrats can say, oh, it's the guns. It's not the guns. It's the policies. It's not letting people arm themselves. It's not letting, it's not telling people they've got to work hard. So now, here are, here are people protesting in Chicago as they damn well should. They start out talking about Rahm Emanuel and what he's doing, and then they call out for help to the one person who actually has been paying attention to their problems. You say that he cares more about the illegal immigrants that are in this city than the African-Americans. I said exactly that. He cares more about non-citizens, African-Americans, we're citizens, and our ancestors built this country. He got some good things, but I think he don't step up and come to the people where the crime is. You know what I'm saying? The crime is on the south side and the west side. We have to make sure that President Trump recognized that not everyone believes that um, Chicago is a, a Trump-free zone. If he's serious about helping the people in Chicago, especially on the west side of Chicago, I accept his help. We can't turn any help away. We have to make sure that people understand that criminals cannot have their way with our streets. We have to protect our youth. We have to protect our seniors. And people have to have safe places to walk. And so, you know, one murder is too many. And so if Chicago police department and all the other law enforcement can't do it, we should seek other help. He's calling out to Trump. And, and you know, if Trump wins 10 to 15 percent of that, you know, population's vote, there won't be a Democrat party. I mean, they have been gulling people for 50 years that they are the help and support of people with that color skin. Well, there is no help and support for people of that color skin. There's only help and support. The same policies work for everybody. The same policies work for everybody. There is more connection between, you know, I was given a speech in a college. I can't remember which college it was. And this, this black guy, young black guy was arguing with me. And I said, you know, the behaviors in poor black communities and the behaviors in white hillbilly communities are exactly the same and, it ca and cause the poverty and keep people mired in poverty. And he said, I don't care about hillbillies. Well, that, that's, that's what you get with the Sarah Jong attitude and that attitude of hating white people and, and judging people. <laughs> Look at it this way. It's either right or wrong to judge people according to the color of the skin. It cannot possibly be right for one person and wrong for another person. That makes no sense. Listen to the left twist itself. They, they're shocked that we protested. They are shocked. They keep calling us the alt-right staged an outrage campaign against Sarah Jung. Well, it is outrageous, and it's not the alt-right. It's any decent human being. Any decent human being knows that it's wrong to judge a man by the color of his skin. That is wrong for everybody. It is wrong for you. It's wrong for me. It's wrong for everybody. And if it's, how, on what logic, by what logic can that make the world a better place? By what 
twisted philosophy. Only an intellectual could convince himself that that was going to make the world a better place. It's just not. But the press has sold this to us. So now the press is unhappy because they're being called the enemy of the people. Trump went nuts over the weekend with one of his tweet storms. And one of his tweets said, the fake news hates me saying that they, they hate me saying that they are the enemy of the people only because they know it's true. I am providing a great service by explaining this to the American people. They purposely cause great division and distrust. They can also cause war. They are very dangerous and sick. And of course, Jim, look at me. I'm Jim Acosta is just, oh my goodness. How could anybody hate a guy like that? How could anybody hate him for the wonderful job he is doing, shouting meaningless questions at people that they can't even hear and then complaining about the fact they don't answer them? So he challenges Sarah Sanders to take back, take it back, take back what the president said and stand up against the president. And he tells her that she has to do this. She And she gives him a little bit of self-knowledge, which he can't hear. He actually stormed out or pretended to storm out because he couldn't bear hearing what she was saying. Listen to this exchange. I think it would be a good thing if you were to say right here uh, at this briefing that the press, the people who are gathered in this room right now, uh, doing their jobs every day, asking questions of officials like the ones you brought forward earlier, are not the enemy of the people. I, I think we... We deserve that. I think the president has made his position known. I also think it's ironic. I'm I'm trying to answer your question. I I politely waited and I even called on you despite the fact that you interrupted me while calling on your colleague. I said it's ironic. Which is why I interrupted. I'm trying. But if you you finish, if you would not mind letting me have a follow-up, that would be fine. It's ironic. Jim, uh, that not only you and the media attack the president for his rhetoric uh, when they frequently lower the level of conversation in this country. Repeatedly, repeatedly, the media resorts to personal attacks without any content other than to incite anger. Uh, The media has attacked me personally on a number of occasions, including your own network, said I should be harassed as a life sentence, that I should be choked. ICE officials are not welcomed in their place of worship and personal information is shared on the internet. When I was hosted by the Correspondents Association, of which almost all of you are members of, you brought a comedian up to attack my appearance and call me a traitor to my own gender. In fact, as I know, um, I'm as far as I know, I'm the first press secretary in the history of the United States that's required Secret Service protection. The media continues to ratchet up the verbal assault against the president and everyone in this administration. And certainly we have a role to play, but the media has a role to play for the discourse in this country as well. You know, you want to see, you want to see just inaction. Uh, you know, I, there's no word, I think, for the absence of self-knowledge. I mean, is there a word for that? I can't think of a word that just means some people who are just stone unable to see themselves. Because, listen, I, I would be happy for Trump. You know, that enemy of the people has historical provenance and all this. And I, I get that. But and I certainly don't want to see any reporters attacked, although that did happen under the last administration. But you just want to see uh, the absence, utter absence of self-knowledge. Here is Brian Stelter, who is their, he's their media reporter. He's CNN's media reporter complaining about Trump's tweet. Just pay close attention to this. I mean, I'll, I'll unpack it when he comes back, but pay close attention to what he says. I know we're all used to him tweeting all the time, but just think about what he's saying here. The president, with his back up against the wall, is saying journalists are dangerous, sick, enemies of the people. That's where we are. This is America. Let me show you a few of the reactions from journalists this morning. Chuck Todd calling this outrageous. He's saying here, he tries not to take the bait, 
but this time he's reacting in the hopes that rational folks realize this is wrong and dangerous. Bill Kristol, an outspoken Trump critic, says the president sounds closer in spirit to Vladimir Putin than America. And S.V. Date, a White House reporter for the Huff Post, pointed out that other leaders in the past have also used the phrase enemy of the people. Among those leaders, Joseph Stalin and Adolf Hitler. Look, enemy of the people does have a Stalin-era connotation. It was used in order to inflict pain and cause violence on populations of people <laughs> throughout history. So he's complaining that Trump is calling him the, the enemy of the people while calling him Putin, Stalin, and Hitler, which, by the way, they've been doing since he started running for office. It's not like they're responding. It's the, him responding to them. They started it. They started it. They can dish it out, but they can't take it. I mean, that is the, what it comes down to. They can dish it out, but they cannot take it. And by the way, if you don't think this happened before, just remember Obama waged war against Fox News while complaining that Fox News was waging war against him. There was they there was a protest, and this is not uh, Obama's fault, but there was a protest in 2008 where Fox News reporters were mobbed by angry people. Today, just to show you how this works, Candace Owen, our pal, who we we had we've had on the show, and I'd love to have her back again. But Candace Owen, over the weekend, she took out Sarah Jong's tweets against white people, and she replaced Jews and black people. And Twitter suspended her. They've never suspended Sarah Jong, but they suspended Candace Owen. Then they, then when people said, hey, wait a minute, look what you did, they apologized. But, but that's the point. That is the double standard. She's with Charlie Kirk in Philadelphia. She's surrounded by a mob of Antifa people threatening her and, call, and just cursing. I don't even know. Well, play the, play the footage. surrounding, I called her Kendall Owen, it's Owens, obviously, uh, and she's a black girl, and they're surrounded by cops who are blacks, and they're shouting that she's racist, and they're shouting the cops are racist, they're calling the cops racist. It reminds me of the old joke about Poland that, that in other countries, uh, that, what is it, in other countries, if you're Jewish, they hate you, but in Poland, if they hate you, you're Jewish, you know, that they just decide that you must be Jewish because they hate you, so you're a racist no matter what color you are, and it's a white mob. That's the other thing. It's a mob of white people calling her and these black cops. I mean, these guys have lost their mind. I got to play one more cut, and then we're going to go to talk to Knowles. Uh, one more cut of David Brooks as the little glimmering of light. You know, he's the New York Times from Knucklehead Row. His little glimmer of light starts to dawn on David Brooks that maybe, just maybe, the press has a little bit of responsibility in this. A lot of us mainstream journalists have become delegitimized in the eyes uh, of a lot of Trump supporters, sometimes for our own fault. We, if you, it turns out if you don't hire from large segments of American society, you become detached from them and they write you off. And, and a lot of that's happened. Uh, and but then the f fans have been the fires have been fanned by Trump himself. And basically what uh, seems to be happening is a complete inversion of where information comes from. And the, those of us in the mainstream media who used to provide information are now discounted in large sections, and this new thing has arisen. 
but but even in the logic of what he just said, if they hadn't started the fire by completely ignoring most of the country, there wouldn't be any flames for Donald Trump to fan. Just a little bit of self-knowledge, a little bit of reform, and all of this could change. It can't be forced on them because of the First Amendment. It shouldn't be forced on them because the First Amendment is a, is a good thing, but they could do it themselves. But will they? I've never seen, I've never seen people with such a deep, deep lack of self-knowledge. Speaking of deep lacks of self-knowledge, Michael Knowles is about to join us, but we've got to say goodbye. I don't know where that came from. He's got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Come on over to thedailywire.com and subscribe. Allows you 10 bucks a month or 100 bucks for the year. You get the leftist tears tumbler. You get to be in the mailbag. You're no, you'll have no problems and a mug, a tumbler full of leftist tears. What could be better? Knowles, hey. I, w- I was having such a nice weekend, and then you had to go ahead and assign me this book. <laughs> you know, as a sadist American, I feel that you're, yeah, I feel offended by your anti-sadistic uh, rhetoric. You know, they're, they're all better than Southside with you. That's, that's the thing I keep hanging my hat on, is at least it can't get as bad as that week exactly. watching Southside with you. Everything is relative. Everything is relative. I, <laughs> plus, uh, plus, the thing is, I, I basically have to take whatever wickedness you dish at me because you're the last guy employing me in Hollywood. You know, I hate to say this, but I, we started our recording of Another Kingdom. You are a hell of an actor. Hey, I, come I, on. No, You're no, no. Me no. Blush. I, yeah. <laughs> I have to say, I, you know, obviously I wouldn't say anything nice to you unless I had to or I was <laughs> under threat of my life or something like that. Right. But you really are. I, I mean, I've seen you play serious stuff. I've seen you play Chekhov and I saw you dancing a little, dancing a little That's what I That's saw. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you, I, knew, I know you're good, but you, you really are. Terrific. Well, body. thank you very. I appreciate it. You're a talented human, the, humanoid. The yeah. trouble is, though, now that you are complimenting my acting in Hollywood, now I'm certainly you're, never going you're to. Finished. You know, you're <laughs> going to say that fake news, conservative, <laughs> alt right. I can't believe we're still on Twitter as far as that goes. Is that well? we'll just wait. The day is young. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. No, it is. It is really a lot of fun. We recorded that first episode on Friday, I guess it was. Yeah. And so we were in the studio about four hours doing it, and it's. You know, when, when I think about how we did it last time, that first season, which Hilarious. was very popular, it, I mean, we were doing it in your attic, basically. Yep, that's and, exactly exactly it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. now we've got uh, we got we got. Uh, I don't want to ruin the surprise. No. But we've got some extra extra stuff for the new season. Hey, we've got some actual visuals to go along with the audio, and it really it really looks great and it sounds great. No. By you, the way, the, yeah. the story is fantastic. <laughs> I'm, so what's what's great about it is you would think for the the. Uh, people who are listening right now, that it, before recording all of these episodes, the visual, the audio, maybe you would send me the script like an hour in advance. No, not at all. I am reading this thing in the studio and it, it's very frustrating because there will be these moments where I get so engrossed in the story that I forget I'm performing it. And so I'll just completely lose it. We're losing light. It, it t- takes time. I, I have to say, when you write the second book in what's going to be a, a trilogy, you sort of Keep your expectations low because that's usually not the best book. It's the linking book. Mm-hmm. But the, and I just thought, just do the best you can. You know, don't, don't kill it. But it, I'm really happy with the way it came out. And it, yeah. yeah, it certainly sounded great. So what? Tell everybody what this book is because to me, it's like mind-boggling that it even exists. Well, c- contrary to your book, which is a good book, <laughs> yeah. there is this book which is called. Hope Never Dies. Hope Never Dies. An yeah. Obama Biden Mystery by Andrew Schaefer. Uh, and I, so the book, it is. I, I don't. I don't want to give it away. I'm sure. I don't. I know none. Of, none of the viewers want spoilers for this book. They're rushing out to just buy. Give away everything. Just give, give yeah. Everything. It, so spoilers to come. So the book. The premise of the book. It centers around Joe Biden and Joe Biden's 
old pal from the Amtrak, his conductor buddy, is found dead on the tracks. And they don't know, was he murdered? Did he commit suicide? Is there mischief and corruption afoot? And so uh, Joe Biden gets himself very involved in all of this. And then, of course, out of the blue, out of the woods, out of the sky, appears, is, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Barack Obama. <laughs> do, they, who, do they broadcast the O on the sky? You know, they, <laughs> yeah, they broadcast. <laughs> yeah, here, Commissioner here's Gordon. <laughs> they, they do it. They actually use a beam of light to put this guy in rainbow colors, and then Barack Obama <laughs> comes down. So, uh, so he comes out of nowhere, and and they solve this mystery together. It's an old, you know, it's an old old fashioned mystery thriller novel. Okay, and uh, uh, you know, it it involves the they ditch the Secret Service, they jump in old Joe Biden's Dodge Challenger. Yeah, because he's just a regular guy. Joe. He's a regular guy, and it. So there are a few takeaways. Uh, the, the first one, I'm sorry to admit, actually, I didn't hate the book. No, I've heard it's not a bad mystery story. The guy has is, is probably got talent. Yeah. He, he does have talent. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a novelty. The book is a novelty. It's shallow. It's glib. It's uh, both both uh, self-aware, hyper self-aware at certain points, yeah. and then oblivious to what it is at other points. But I will say, as far as the story goes, it's serviceable. There's nothing, right. uh, it, it does kind of keep you going along with it. Uh, it there, but there are a few takeaways I find in it. First of all, Democrat politicians right now are so irrelevant that Democrats have to actually concoct whole <laughs> fantasies to, to have them in the public eye. They're so gone. I mean, you talk about Osama, Uhama, Ulama, who was that guy? Yeah, who, we forget his legacy has been utterly erased by Donald Trump. So they have to do this. Uh, the, the book suffers from really one major flaw, because otherwise it's a serviceable book. It's that there are no character flaws. <laughs> Nobody has any character flaws. Nobody has any. Well, that's any been their problem with Obama from the beginning, right? I mean, this is yeah. this was the character, this, or this was the narrative problem with the left when they ran Barack Obama in 2008. He has no character flaws. And so you just, one, you don't believe him. There's no credibility and you can't relate to the guy. The, the, the main character here is Biden in the book. And you might think, well, shouldn't it be Obama? He's the protagonist. No, because uh, what the author says, Schaefer, is that he he was going to make it Obama, but you can't poke around in Obama's head. He's too brilliant. He's indecipherable. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yes. In interviews and in the novel itself. So he couldn't create Obama as a character because the guy's just perfect. So he has no... there wow. are two sides to this. On, yeah. on the one hand, he's saying he's he really is too perfect. He's really indecipherable. You can't get into his head. But then he's a little bit honest in another interview. He says, the minute that you make him a person, he loses everything. He's not interested in it anymore. The whole reason that Barack Obama it compels us and t- takes people's attention is because he's just this legendary figure. The moment he becomes a real person and you actually look into his past, you know, at Columbia, yeah. you look into his past in Chicago community organizing is the church he went to that with that awful racist guy. The minute you look at him, he becomes prosaic and not not very attractive. So um, he actually says both things. Uh, now, with Biden, now, has he actually said, though, that I could not make him a human being because because if I did, he would lose all his... Yes, luck. yeah, yeah. You, he says you can't poke around his head. It's it's inscrutable, you know, It's he's indecipherable. And also the moment he becomes a regular guy, he, he's not attractive to us. Right, that, right. Which is so true. It's true politically and of it's course, true in the, in the book. Yeah. Uh, with Biden, uh, Biden does have a couple flaws in, 
in this book, but the like floor... He's, like he's dumb as an ashtray? Yeah. Like that? <laughs> <laughs> well, that would... No, that's, that's his flaw in real life. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I got confused the there for a minute. Yeah. It, the, the flaws that this writer, Schaefer, gives to Joe Biden are like, you know when you're interviewing for your first job right out of college and they say, what is your... What's your biggest flaw? And you say, I work too hard. Uh, yeah, exactly. I w- I'm just, I'm a perfectionist. That's my, fl- <laughs> and just, that is it. Dedicated. I mean, the yeah. flaws that Biden has is he is a little bit jealous because Barack Obama has made new friends since the White House. So he's a little hurt. He's a little jealous. He's a little emotional. He cares too much. And then his, and then the major flaw by the end of it is that he's given so much to public service. That's his whole life. But how much does his family deserve him? And how much does the country deserve him? Those are the flaws. So really, really tough ones, you know. Uh, By the way, the the book is pretty smart in that it makes all the use of every pleasant aspect of Obama and Biden. So do you remember Biden got the Presidential Medal of Freedom? Obama just gave it to him at the end of his presidency? Right, yeah. That plays a central role. Nobody even remembers that he got it, but that plays a central role. Even, by the way, the, I, I sort of forgot, the one character flaw he gives Obama is that Barack Obama smokes cigarettes. Uh-huh. First of all, that's not a character flaw. You need that in a mystery novel. It's <laughs> yeah. very cool. Smokers right. are cool. And uh, the, the second part is he actually says, he goes, I haven't had a smoke in eight years, but I just had one because of you, Joe. I think like, are you, do you, does anyone on earth really believe that Barack Obama quit smoking as he was running for president? That's insane. So leftist platitudes pervade this. And it's kind of fun because he's playing with the audience. You know, it, it actually, he'll, he quotes that Martin Luther King quote, the arc of history yeah. bends toward justice, right. but he quotes it like seven times. And you can't tell if he knows what he's doing or if he doesn't <laughs> because Obama did the same thing. Yeah. Um, and, and where he's very smart is the book isn't terribly ideological or partisan. It was uh, enough just about the, this mystery story that it didn't irk me. There were a few climate change things, a couple Trump barbs, but nothing too much. Why is that? Because the political aspect of this book is about making these guys sympathetic for non-policy reasons. You remember during the Obama years, while his policies People were profoundly Obama. unpopular, right. he was always personally right. very popular. And, and it sounds to me like what he's doing is he's setting up Biden. He's not setting up because Obama can't run again, but Biden will. This is, so that's certainly one of the reasons why Biden's the protagonist. But by the way, at the end of this book, the curtain drops a little bit. You know, it, it is this kind of wacky mystery for some of it. It's vaguely enjoyable. And at the end, it is all about running for president. It yeah. is Joe talking to Barack, saying, "I should I run?" Oh, Joe, you know it's so hard. I know it's hard. I don't. I don't even want to. But America needs me. Oh my god! I mean, it is really. You know, uh, the funny thing. The funny thing about this is, because they live in their imagination, where Obama is perfect, where socialism works, where mm -hmm. all these things happen that don't act, where they're oppressed, where Trump is Hitler, and women are living in the Handmaid's Tale. They live completely in their imagination. It does give them a talent for this. It gives them a talent for selling things. To the American people. It's lucky that the American people at least live in reality. So that well, that, that's exactly yeah. right. You know, I mean, there are lines in there that are totally unself-aware about how 
Joe Biden is too chivalrous. He's never said anything. Yeah. He's never behaved uh, weirdly around a woman at all. No, meanwhile, no, you know, yeah. you, you cut to those videos. I mean, every single one, it's him like goes to 16 year old girls smelling their hair, you know, on camera. <laughs> really God. bizarre stuff. But all right. The, I have to stop you. I'm getting a little sick to my stomach. I know. You, <laughs> usually that's the point when they say, Michael, you have to leave. Yeah. Uh, we're bringing in. Yep. Um, but it is it is real. I mean, they do have a command of narrative. There's yep. no question about it. It and uh, and they're going to keep bringing it out for 2020. Yeah, because they live in their imaginations. What's on your show today? So t- <laughs> today I'm going to be talking about the Netroots Conference. Are oh, we yeah. talking about Democrats have just laid out their plans for 2020? And spoiler alert, they hate your guts and want to control your lives. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, goodness! It's a Shocker. surprise ending. All right, thanks a lot, Noel. Sorry I had to do that to you, but I really wanted to know what was in it without reading it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it happens. I can't wait for the next assignment. All right, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> Our crappy culture. Speaking of which. <laughs> oh, gosh. I, that may have been our crappy culture. I'm not sure I have anything else to say. Facebook has banned uh, four pages run by the American conspiracy theorist Alex Jones for repeated violations of community standards. Uh, the removal of the pages comes after Facebook imposed a 30 day ban on Jones personally for his role in posting violating posts violating content of these pages. Uh, It's glorifying violence, dehumanizing language to describe people who are transgender, Muslim, and immigrants, which violates our hate speech policy. Listen, I'm in no Alex Jones fans. I think the guy is, uh, I think he's wacko. I think the guy is wacko. But the answer to speech is more speech. And Facebook is going down the wrong path. They have to understand that, you know, when you see the world in terms of race, when you see it in terms of sexuality, when you see it in terms of all these things, that's a way of seeing the world. You don't have to see it that way. You can see it in terms of individuals. You can see it in terms of freedom. You can see it in terms of America. And once you see it that way, that you know, the stuff that Jones is doing is just loopy. That's all. It's not offensive. It's not dehumanizing. It's, not, it's none of that stuff. It's just loopy. And it's, and it's false. You can beat that stuff with more speech, and Facebook should get out of the business of censorship. They are not uh, given sent to us by God to determine what hate speech is. We don't need them to determine what hate speech is. Let speech be speech. Let the people talk. Let the people talk. Let the truth will out. It really will. I got to say goodbye. That was quick. Uh, what, who, who's on tomorrow? Do we know? We have uh, Jimmy Walker on. Oh, Jimmy Walker did an interview with Jimmy Walker. Really good interview. Really interesting to talk to him. That's very bright guy. Uh, really knows what he's talking about when he came to show business. He tells one story in that interview that blew me away. And you will hear it tomorrow. And I'll be here tomorrow. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Emily Jai. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.